Open in your Bibles, not 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. And uh, I promise you, we're going to preach on faithfulness tonight. I promise you I did not fall asleep, wake up, and forget that we had church this morning. Amen. Uh, if you were here this morning, you know that we preached out of this chapter and we preached on this topic. But uh, I wanted to, as a rule of thumb, I try on Sunday mornings to be just as mean as I can and try to run everybody off. And then uh, those that decide to come back on Sunday night, uh, they get to be rewarded by me being kind and nice and sweet. So uh, this morning we preached on the life of Elijah and a lapse of faithfulness. And uh, tonight I want us to maybe look at the other side of this coin. And I want us to try to think about it in a little bit different perspective. Some of what we say tonight is going to be reinforcing maybe some passing comments that we made this morning. But uh, listen, I'm glad when we're unfaithful, we can become faithful. But I'm also glad when we are faithful, we can stay faithful. And nothing says, when you hear these uh, these testimonies very often in people's lives, and I want to be trying to be sensitive and and uh, and 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 tactful in, in how I say it, but you hear testimonies, people say, when I preach your eye, I, I've been saved since, and I, and I can't tell you the numbers of times I've heard this exact testimony. People say, well, preacher, I got saved at a vacation Bible school at a young age or at a church camp, and I lived for the Lord when I was a teenager, and then I got out of the will of God, and I lived out of the will of God for decades of my adult life, and uh, then God finally, and they'll, they'll usually tell a story of how uh, through some great, great tragedy, great crisis, God got their attention, and they, they come back to the Lord, and I rejoice in those testimonies. But I'm also glad to report to you, man, you don't have to waste years in the wilderness. Uh, you don't have to spend years, you don't have to have a life that is marked by that departure. And I'm glad if, 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 listen, if you ain't faithful, you can become faithful. But I'm also glad if you are faithful, you can stay faithful. Uh, the best testimony is the person, hey, I, I want the most boring testimony on the block. I want a testimony that goes this way. I saved when I was young. I've lived for God and He's been good and better every day of my life. That's the kind of testimony we ought to strive for. And so when I think about Elijah and what Elijah experienced, there is great power in the testimony of this prophet who had a lapse of faithfulness and then came back and went on to do great things for God. But then there's this other group of people that are mentioned in our text and uh, I think that often we overlook those individuals that through patient, slow consistency, quiet service live a life that can accomplish things that not even an Elijah could accomplish with his bursts of devotion and of passion. And so I want us to consider for a moment tonight, we talked this morning about a lapse of faithfulness, but tonight I want to preach on the fellowship of faithfulness. What does it look like when God's people are faithful? What does that experience bring to our lives? First Kings chapter 19. Now, we won't have to read all that we read this morning, but I do want to read verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, verse number 13, And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in, a man, in his mantle, went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Verse 18 is our text tonight. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for what you did in our hearts this morning. But now we're asking that as we turn our attention to your Word again, that, Lord, it would live and breathe anew and afresh, uh, that it would burn in our hearts, and that you'd have liberty to do a work in us that bring you glory. Lord, I love you. Thank you for being such a precious God. Thank you for being a sweet Savior, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we said a moment ago, we looked at Elijah this morning. But I want us to stop and consider the ministry and impact of these 7,000 nameless individuals. You know, we're never told anything about them except one thing, and that's that in a time of great wickedness, they stood. And yet, the future of the nation rested on these quiet, silent individuals who simply went about serving the Lord, not doing anything remarkable, not doing anything noteworthy uh, in and of itself, but rather that they just lived a patterned life of consistent devotion to the Lord. I have no doubt whatsoever uh, that they were not Baal worshippers when Baal worship was unpopular, nor are they Baal worshippers when Baal worship is popular. Can I say this? Hey, we should not be reactionary in our Christianity. Uh, If if it's, if it's uh, right when uh, if it's right when the world says that it's wrong, or if it's wrong when the world says that it's right, then that ought not change even when every now and again the world gets it right. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, there's been times in in our society here in America where, I mean, even lost men have just recognized that biblical living produces a better country. And uh, just as during those times we ought not be lax, but we ought to be devoted and faithful. Likewise, in the days that we're living now, we need to keep being devoted and keep being faithful. I'll tell you, it's, it's in style, unfaithfulness is. And if you live a life marked by unfaithfulness, if you desire to surround yourself by people that will endorse it and will uh, enjoy it, then you'll find people that will do that. But we find that this crowd of people did not surround themselves with those that would endorse unfaithfulness, but rather with those that would expect faithfulness. Uh, When we read this passage of Scripture, it's impossible, nor is it appropriate, to divorce it from the context of what's going on in the nation of Israel. And let me just say, God gave a lesson on faithfulness in a time when that lesson was desperately needed. In our country, in the day that we're living in, we desperately need faithfulness. I mean, it ain't hard to find somebody that's willing to love God for a few minutes. It's not hard to find somebody that's willing to do something for the Lord a time or two. But we're living in a day when just as the psalmist lamented a faithful man who can find, and when we read our text, we find that today, just as in Israel's day, there is a great need for faithfulness on the behalf of God's people. Why is this need so great? Well, I noticed that in our text, it was a time of spiritual darkness. Those are times when faithfulness is needed. Man, we're living in a time of spiritual darkness. 
I'm becoming increasingly convinced that much of modern culture is demonic in its nature. I see people that will scream and tear their flesh from their body at rage at the thought of not being able to murder unborn children. Tell me that's not demonic. I, I, I say, listen, I, I see a world I, I saw, and I try to keep out of the news. I try to stay out of the news, but it's like it just claws its way to find me. I, I saw an article the other day where the New York Times, who uh, used to be uh, somebody that people read, <laughs> posted an article that was promoting, exploring the notion and idea of cannibalism. And I stopped and think about it. They'd rather you eat each other than lower your taxes. <laughs> You hear me? <laughs> they, they, I mean, listen, before now, it's, they've been telling you to eat bugs. Before long, they're going to tell you eat bud. Amen? You can't tell me there's not a dark, sinister, demonic force behind that kind of ideology. We're living in times of great spiritual darkness when even that that parades as Christianity often is probably more animated and motivated by dark forces than anything uh, else. We're living in a time when uh, there's great biblical illiteracy. And it's not that men can't read. It's that they don't want the Word of God. They hate it. They loathe it. So many places in our world, just the simple reading of the Word of God has been deemed to be a hate crime, an act of hostility and violence against another human being. We're living in a time when good is called evil, when evil is called good. We're living in a great time of spiritual darkness. And we often, we say, now preacher, what's going to change it? Who are we going to vote in? Who are we going to elect? Who are we going to put up to preach a, a great crusade? What's going to change it? Well, what changed it in Elijah's day? The faithfulness of God's people. The thing that's going to change it in our country is not going to be some great watershed moment and it's sure enough not going to be some great political savior. It's going to be when God's people get serious about God again. There's a great need for faithfulness. It was a time of spiritual darkness and here's what that led to. It led to a time of societal decline. The nation was not in good condition at this time. You know why? Because spiritual darkness leads to societal decline. Uh, this is one of the great annoyances of the leaders of our world today. They just love to have a beautiful world without God, but without God, they invariably break it into a thousand pieces. And it, it irks them. It enrages them to think that they need God for this world to operate. But I'd remind you that, listen, it's by Him that all things consist. And without God, this world will shake apart. And as this world has pushed God away, it's begun to shake apart. Man, there's things that you and I would have never dreamed of five years ago that today are a reality. I mean, there's things, and I'll tell you, I, the, and, and I hope that, that the more seasoned generation, I hope you don't live in anxiety and worry over these because often many of these things are not your worries and anxieties. But I'll tell you, the younger generation is scratching their heads, asking questions about what the future holds, looking at it and saying, well, what do we do now? Do we save and let them eat it up with inflation? Do we spend and go to the poorhouse in poverty? How do we raise our kids? How do we protect them? Where can we take them to? What can we do? We're living in a time when the very foundations of society it feels are shaking out from underneath us. What do we need in these days? We need faithfulness on the part of God's people. Uh, Listen, hey, your foundations are built on something stronger. Stronger. Your foundations are built on something that was here before the foundations of the world. And will be here long after it. And as such, you say, preacher, what do I need to do? Man, we need to be faithful. 
Uh, You don't have to be phenomenal. You just need to be faithful. And our society needs faithfulness. It was a time of spiritual darkness. It was a time of societal decline. But then I was struck by this. And, and you know, the, the reason that God says what He says in the way He says it in verse 18 is because Elijah is under the abiding impression that he alone is left that loves and serves God. And God's answer is, yet I have left me 7,000. And that's given it an answer to encourage Elijah. And it does the job. We'll say a moment, uh, here in a few moments, a word about that as a, as a vast sum of people. And certainly relative to Elijah's perspective, it was. But can I just notice for a moment that in the greater context of the nation, what a paltry number, number that that is. I mean, you understand that in Israel in that day, just the Levites would have numbered hundreds of thousands. Just the people, I mean, there should have been more people than that serving in the temple. And God says that's all that's left is 7,000. You know what it tells me? It was a time when servants were defecting. It was a time when people that had been faithful quit being faithful. It's a time when people that had been serving and quit serving. I'll go ahead and admit this freely that part of the context of this as well is that Jezebel had cut off the prophets of the Lord. She had been killing and she had been slaying and, and she had been laying low some of these individuals. But you can't tell me her sword's not big enough, her arm's not long enough for her to be able to slay that many people to where it is reduced to only this number through mere force and violence. No, what was happening? Some were watching and getting the message. If we we don't get with Jezebel's program, it's going to be our head on the chopping block. And rather than staying the course, rather than maintaining their faithfulness, they bowed the knee, they kissed the statue, they buckled, they bent, they broke, and they quit serving the Lord. I hate to tell you, man, but we're living in a day where it's epidemic. Uh, we've heard a lot. We've heard the word epidemic a lot and pandemic a lot over the past few years. And let me tell you, there's an epidemic of unfaithfulness. Uh, now, I, you say, preacher, I thought you was going to encourage me tonight. Well, hang with me. I will. I will. But I'm saying society at large. I'm saying we're living in a time where, uh, and this is one of the things that, that in, the, in, the, in the shifting sands of, of society have, have happened is, man, a lot of, when, 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 all the, when all the COVID stuff quit, there's some people just quit. They just quit. I'm talking about, they're, listen, they're hanging out somewhere at Jimmy Hoffa. Nobody can find them. They're just gone. What happened, preacher? Well, some people were grieved at the prospect of what was going on. But make no mistake, man, some people, I'm talking about church members and pastors alike, loved the idea of being able to have church from the couch. And then when it came time to walk back through the doors, they just never did. I've had friends and, 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 you know, companions in ministry, people that I know, fellow pastors that have lamented. I couldn't tell you the numbers of them that have told me, Preacher, I wish we'd never shut down. Preacher, I wish we had never quit. Preacher, I wish we had never. We thought it was going to be. We thought it was going to be two weeks. We was going to slow the curve. You know, I don't know if you care anything about the news, but Scarf Lady that was up on TV every single day through all that has admitted recently that they made all that up, that the idea of two weeks to flatten the curve, that they had no reason to think two weeks, that six foot to slow the spread, they had no reason to think. Now, you, you can say what you want, and you can get mad at me for saying that, but you believed her when she was saying the other. You're going to believe her today. She's coming out and saying, we made all that science up. 
that we had no reason. She said, the moment we announced two weeks to slow the spread, we were immediately trying to find out ways to lengthen it further. That's what she said. That's what she said. You say, preacher, are you above getting duped? No, I've gotten duped plenty of times. Uh, Plenty of times. I still get duped on a pretty daily basis. My flesh is the best at duping me. But I'm saying this, man, I can't tell you the numbers of people that say, preacher, we just thought it was going to be. We just, that's all we thought it was going to be. And here's what they learned. They learned they had some people that was just hanging on the, on the fence and whenever they saw an opportunity to bolt, they bolted. They never come back. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying in society, it's epidemic, the defecting of God's people. Every single day, people walking away that have been faithful, that have been serving God. You say, preacher, then what do we need? Well, then we need faithfulness on the part of God's people. We need those that are faithful to stay faithful. This morning, I preach trying to get those that ain't faithful to be faithful. Tonight, I'm preaching to you that's faithful to tell you to stay faithful. Stay faithful. Whenever God makes this statement in verse 18, notice what He says. He says, yet I have left me. 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. There's much more that we could and that God even does say about faithfulness throughout the rest of the Word of God. But it's interesting to note that in this one simple verse, God characterizes both the attitude, disposition, and actions of this faithful group of people. And you know, in this sort of concentrated germ form, we have many lessons about what faithfulness looks like why we should be faithful, how we can be faithful, and what faithfulness accomplishes in our life and in the lives of others. Let's see if we can learn something about faithfulness tonight. You know the first thing that I notice when I read this? I notice the master of the faithful. Did you notice how God said it in verse 18? He said, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. I love that verse. You know why? Because not a single bit of it gives glory to anybody but God. God doesn't say there's 7,000 that have hung in. He doesn't say, i got 7,000 good ones. Here's what God says. He says, I have willed and chosen, permitted and allowed that 7,000 individuals would remain in faithfulness to hold the line against the spiritual satanic darkness of the days that we're living in. You know what it reminds me? It reminds me in the New Testament whenever Christ commands His disciples to pray for labors for the harvest. And here's how what He does. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Hey, listen, God is the God of the faithful. And if anybody's faithful, they're only faithful because of God in the first place. Notice three little thoughts here. Number one, notice the source of their faithfulness. He doesn't say there's 7,000 that have found within themselves the strength to be faithful. Because here's the truth. You wouldn't find seven that would find within them the strength to be faithful. He does not say there are 7,000 that have been adequately trained up in the ways of faithfulness. Because faithfulness, this is going to be contrary to some of our perspectives. Faithfulness is not a matter of training. So how do you know that, preacher? Because I went to a Christian school. That's how I know that. I've been around people who was trained up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They were trained up in the way they should go. But they make their own choices just like you do. Just like I do. Uh, listen, well, the, the faithfulness cannot be beat into them and it can't be drilled into them. They have to make the choice to be faithful. 
So where does faithfulness come from? Well, the source of faithfulness is very simply Him. He says, yet I have left me. Can I remind you of this? Hey, listen, faithfulness in the life of a believer can only exist and will only flow downstream from the faithful nature of God in the first place. Now, stop and think about this. Everything about your Christianity, if it's real and genuine, is a product of the life of Christ being lived through you. Why would your faithfulness be any different? Why would your faithfulness merely be the product of you willing and disciplining yourself to maintain a standard of devotion towards God? We don't find this to be the model of anything in regards to New Testament Christianity. I I was uh, preaching through the book of Romans or trying to a little bit this past week, teaching through the book of Romans each night in the adult class. And you know what we learn indisputably from Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8? That the path to growth in the Christian life is not through training... It is not through capability. It's not through acute discernment, but rather it's through the mortifying of self and through the magnifying of Christ. It's through putting self to death and allowing the life of Christ through our obedience unto Him to be manifest through us. You know, the same thing's true about faithfulness in your life. We hinted on this and maybe even preached a little on it this morning, but People that are faithful are not faithful because they figured out how to be faithful. They're faithful because they figured out that they're not faithful in the first place. They've quit trusting themselves to be faithful and they have begun to daily lean upon the Lord to guide them and direct them in their choices and in their daily lives. And you know funny thing about it? If, if we have a faithful God and if He's living through us, that's going to make us faithful. That's going to make us faithful. I'll tell you this. If you ever ask God's opinion about going to church uh, and He tells you to stay home, uh, you ought to. But you know, 99.9% of the time, if you were to pray about it and ask God about it, and I don't really think you've got to pray about whether to go to church. I think you know whether you ought to go to church. But in that moment when you're tempted not to, if you say, now, Lord, I, you know, what do I need to do? I, I need to know in this moment whether I need to, I mean, I need to know what to do. You know what you'll find is that the vast majority of the time he's going to say, well, go ahead and go on and be faithful. Whenever you go to pray and, and, and you say, well, now, preacher, should I pray about whether to pray? Uh, no, I, I just go ahead and pray instead. Because he's going to tell you to pray. You pray about reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. And you ought to be praying through your Bible study. But you don't necessarily have to pray about it, about whether to do it or not. Because we're commanded to study ourselves approved unto God. But you know, every time that you lean upon the Lord for that decision, you're going to find his decision is consistent and faithful. So the more that we lean on self, and I'll tell you this, I'm of a strange mind sometimes. Uh, there are probably times that even in my flesh I go to church because sometimes I enjoy church. Every now and then. There are times that I might, because it piques my intellectual interest, read the Bible in my flesh. But you know, there's going to be a lot of times that I wouldn't. There's going to be times when I might be stirred up emotionally enough that it would produce a response positively towards the things of God. But that ain't enough to sustain a man because sooner or later emotions come down. You see, only by yielding myself unto the Lord and allowing His faithfulness to be my faithfulness. I don't just mean I'm emulating His faithfulness. I mean I'm engrafting His faithfulness into my life by my obedience unto Him. Only by that will faithfulness be produced in me. He's the source of their faithfulness. But then think about this. He says, yet I have left me. Now that's interesting language. He doesn't say, I have made 
7,000 faithful people. He says, I have left 7,000 people. The idea being, of course, that some Jezebel had slain, but also that there were some that had been defecting. But he says, you know, there's some of them. I've made sure. I have guaranteed that I've got some to fight this fight. You know what it tells me? It, It tells me something about the support of their faithfulness. And it tells me this, that if we make up our mind to be faithful, God will help us be faithful. You'd be amazed how faithful you can be to God if you'll just make up your mind to obey Him and let Him lead in your life day by day. Uh, Oftentimes when we look at great milestones of longevity, uh, the people that have achieved them would readily tell you that they didn't achieve them in one whole bite, but rather day by day. And that simply by doing what they knew to be right day by day, God strung all those days together. And in between, in the midst of it all, sustained them in moments of difficulty and that they were able to achieve that longevity. That's true whether it be marriage. That's uh, true whether uh, it be work and labor. And it's certainly true in regards to faithfulness unto God. The fact is, you don't have it within you and I don't have it within me. But God undergirds and upholds the faithful. He will make sure that you've got the things you need to stay faithful to Him. I often wonder if sometimes the things that we blame our unfaithfulness on are the product of our lack of faithfulness in the first place. Let me tell you something. I'll give you a small example. You're out using your vehicle to serve the Lord. He's got every reason to keep that engine running. You're using what health that you do have to serve the Lord. He, he, it's in His interest to keep you in good health. Now, I'm not saying that uh, any uh, breakdown in these things is, is a, a de facto indictment against a person's faithfulness. I'm merely saying, hey, don't you want God working towards that end instead of against that end? Uh, certainly there's people that are faithful whose health fails. Certainly there are people who's faithful whose car breaks. But I'm saying I wonder how often in our life that the things we lament and we say, well, I'd be faithful if it were for this. God doesn't allow because He knows we weren't even when we had that. He supports faithfulness in the life of the believer. But then notice the sovereign of their faithfulness. I like this. Yet I have left me. He doesn't say, I have left Israel 7,000 in Israel. He doesn't say, I've left Elijah 7,000 in Israel. He doesn't say, I've left Jehu 7,000 in Israel. He says, I have left me 7,000 in Israel. Here was God's perspective. They belong to me. They're mine. And I would say it this way. The reason they was around and still faithful was because they had the same perspective. As long as you view your life as being under the jurisdiction of yourself, then you're going to do what you feel like. And very often you won't feel like doing the things that please God. Only when you recognize that you're a bond slave of Jesus Christ, bought and paid for at the cross of Calvary, your life's not your own. You're bought with a price. One of the most wicked lies that hell ever told was, well, you live your own life. You're your own person. Not if you're born again, you're not. Hey, not even if you're lost. They're sold under sin. It don't matter who you are. You, you can't serve two masters. You're going to either serve God or mammon. Guess what is not option C? Self. Everybody's going to serve something. So the question is, what are you going to serve? The faithful man remains faithful. Because he recognizes that his life is not his own. doesn't belong to me. I belong to the Lord. I don't have a right to live my life for me. I have only the right to live it for Him. 
It's amazing. And I listen, I, sometimes you all must think I'm at least moderately spiritual, by the way, that, that, that I preach. But let me let you in on something. I'm fighting the same fights that you're fighting. I'm battling the things that you're battling. I struggle in the ways that you struggle. And, and certainly in my life, just as it is in your life, there's times when I'm not faithful to the Lord the way that I ought to be. But I found this, that the times of unfaithfulness, and we mentioned it this morning in talking about Elijah and his priority, those times when I'm unfaithful to God, it is invariably because I begin to think of my life as my own purchase and possession. And the times that I recognize I don't, I don't, I don't have a right to live the way that I want. I, I, I could have lived that way and gone to hell. But when I chose Christ, I chose against me. And as such, man, I don't have the right. And people all the time, well, preacher, it's my life and I'll live it any way that I want. But if you've been born again, it's not your, you don't have the right to live however you want. But you know what you'll find? That as you yield your life unto God, God will take custodianship of it. God was not grudging of this. He said, I have left me. He said, those are my people. We're going to find here in a moment that he had done everything he needed to do to take care of them. He was watching over them. He knows the exact number of them. He doesn't say there's a little less, a little more. Uh, But uh, you better believe if he's got the numbers of hairs on their head counted, he knew what the roll call was. Nobody else knew. Nobody else probably paid any attention. Some of these people were gathered together, as we'll see in a moment, in one location. But undoubtedly, many of them were scattered in isolation, just as Elijah was, trembling and fearing, waiting for the agents of Baal to kick down their door and draw a blade across their throat. And they thought they were forgotten about. But God says, I know exactly who they are, what they're going through. I'm watching over them. I'm protecting them. He's the sovereign of those that are faithful. He watches over them. So we see the master of the faithful. But then I want you to think with me for just a moment about the multitude of the faithful. I said earlier that as we emphasize what a paltry number that was, we were really doing that almost in contravention of God's intention in stating. And not that it's inappropriate to notice, hey, 7,000's good, where's everybody else? But in the greater context of what Paul or what Elijah is is experiencing here, uh, what's Elijah's number? Uh, if you took a roll and said, how many people's faithful to God? Elijah's vote would have been one, and I'm him. And God's answer is, Elijah, I've got 7,000. Let me say it this way. Hey, their presence is greater than you think. It's greater than you think. I'll tell you a secret about the work of God. the vast majority of it is done in small congregations by small amounts of people. You wouldn't think this. You go to a big city and you can go to a church that's 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 monstrous and huge. And and I'm not even fussing. I mean, I, I don't know if you want me to. I'll crack a joke about their coffee or something, I guess. But. I'm sure God does things in those places. I mean, you know, they do so much. It might be every now and then they accidentally do the same thing God wants and, and, and something happens. And But that's not my point. My point is when you see them congregated in that great vast place, you can get the impression that that's what's happening. I, one of the things I learned when I started pastoring, I grew up in a church that at one time had been large. By the time I was growing up, it had, it had diminished a lot. But uh, at one time, it had been a large church. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I came to Wall Ridge, I thought of Wall Ridge as a small church. 
Now, at the time, there's 46 souls voted on the day that I was, I was voted in. Uh, we had more than that that were attending at the time, and we, you know, we was doing pretty good. Here's how things went. All right, we we had we had 46 voted on the day that I was voted in. Within six months, we was running over a hundred. And then uh, we we had a great move of God and shrunk to 60. Sometimes growth goes backwards. <laughs> Isn't that addition by subtraction or something? I told someone the other day, I said, man, I, I, I could tell you the names of some that I prayed into these pews and some that I prayed out of these pews. <laughs> but, but my perspective, you know, to me, I thought, well, this is a small church. And I began to have evangelists in. I'm talking about big name guys. I'm talking about guys whose dance card is full. And I'd talk to them and I'd say, now, uh, you know, how are things? Are, are we meeting all your needs? And how do you feel like, you know, we've tried to encourage our people to be here and everything. And you know what I started to learn? I'm talking about people whose names are across flyers all over this country. The vast majority of them, the vast majority of time are preaching in churches half the size of this. Now, I don't say that to magnify Walridge. I say that to say all across this country, there's a lot of little churches. Maybe not every one of them has every single one what the, the way that it ought to be. Uh, maybe not every one of them has their theology as exhaustively sussed out and figured out as we hope to think that we might have here. But places where people know God and love God and are faithfully serving the Lord and they love the Bible and they want their life to count for Christ, And all across this country, you'd find people that love God and serve God and know God. There's more of them than you think is what I'm getting at. The devil, you know why he wants to get you alone in a cave? is to make you think you are the only one. God's answer is, Elijah, man, there's a lot more of them than you think that there are. We also, I think this is the nature of biblical meekness. If a person is serving the Lord in faithfulness and the right spirit, they're not going to talk a lot about the things that they do. And I would tell you this, hey, even even in this crowd, there's people serve God in ways you'd never dream. Uh, you'd never hear about it either. But if, we, if we're not careful, man, we'll get this complex. I even, I only am left. I hate to tell you this, but God's smarter than to leave it all in your hands. There's more than you think. Just like there's more than I think. The sun don't rise and set on what this church is doing or what you're doing. There's more. And if that bothers you, that's a pride issue. Because it ought to be a source of encouragement. I'd say this, that their presence is greater. But then I would say this, that their perspective is greater. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we're told not about all 7,000 of these, because no doubt nobody but God knew who all 7,000 were. But we are told about a 100 of them. In 1 Kings 18. Now, let me remind you a little bit of the timeline here. Elijah walks into Ahab's palace three and a half years earlier than what our text is and declares there's going to be a famine in the land according to the word of the Lord. He then walks out and Ahab laughs. Then it don't rain. And Ahab quits laughing. And Ahab sends a company of men out to go and search the land. And they're looking for two things. One, they're looking for big sources of water. And two, they're looking for Elijah. And they go all through the land of Israel looking for big sources of water for their cattle and looking for Elijah. By the way, let me tell you something about the providence of God. You ever wonder why God sent him way up to the backwater Gentile, not Israel, society brook of Kidron and put him by a little bitty brook that was about to dry up? God was hiding him away. 
God put him out of reach of those that wanted to do him harm. So Obadiah goes out looking, but you know what he does before that? The Bible says in 1 Kings 18.4, It was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now we don't know exactly how long it could have been anything upwards of, of probably two years that these men had lived in this cave on bread and water. I would say this, sometimes faithfulness is darkness. Sometimes it's dullness. I mean, couldn't somebody order a pizza? Bread and water? And by the way, you're going to have trouble with that low-carb thing when you read your Bible. He's the bread of life. Amen. And I don't, and I can't exactly find this, but, but if you read somewhere in the, in the Greek or the Latin or, or the Spanish of it, he's the pasta of glory. But bread and water for two years. Two years. Living in darkness for all of that time. But I would say this, they's better off than Elijah was. Stop and think with me for a moment. Do the split screen like they do in the, in the godless Hollywood movies when they're showing you two different scenes there. And look, and over here in one cave is a man who had been faithful, but has now in unfaithfulness isolated himself. He's alone in a cave. He thinks he's the only man left alive serving God. Here on this side of the screen is a group of a hundred men who have not isolated themselves. They've stayed faithful to God and they've stayed in the company of other faithful men. And there in that cave ain't nobody accusing God of nothing. There in that cave ain't no, ain't nobody accusing God of having failed. There in that cave, you know what we find? We find it was a place where the encouragement and camaraderie of these individuals was enough to keep them sustained for two years, maybe three years. I'd say this, hey, listen, you got a better perspective when you're faithful. You stay faithful and stay around faithful people. These prophets were in a cave with each other and felt encouragement. Elijah was in a cave with himself and felt despair. Stay around God's people. You'll find it easier to stay faithful. Stay around God's people, you'll find it easier to stay the course. So I see here the master of the faithful, and I see the multitude of the faithful. But finally, and I'm done tonight, think with me for a moment about the ministry of the faithful. Now, what does God say these men have done? He says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel which can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I've left me 7,000 in Israel who have held multi-city conglomerative crusades in the gospel effort. No. Here's what he says about them. They've not kissed the altar. They've not bowed the knee. That's all he says about them. But you know, that's all he had to say about them. Notice with me the ministry of the faithful. And first off, notice the criteria that it fulfilled. They were distinguished by what they did not do as opposed to by what they did do. I want to be careful with what I say here. Our Christianity ought to be more than just treading water. Our goal should be more than just keeping from making shipwreck of our life. But I will tell you this, it's a lot more impressive to abstain from the wickedness of this world than it is to occasionally climb to great heights of achievement. Consecration is more impressive than the accolades of men. And when God looks at these men, here's what He has to say about them. They've not bowed. They've not kissed that altar. 
They hadn't really achieved anything markedly. Some of them were hiding away in a cave, surviving. But in days when true believers in God were strung up in the street and burned, it meant something to refuse to bow the knee. <laughs> Let me tell you, we're getting there. We're getting there. And I will just simply tell you, much more, the great acid test is always in the in the negative arena of whatever you're examining. Uh, you can tell a church far more by what it won't say than by what it will say. And you can determine faithfulness far more by what people won't do than you will by the great things that they might do. It's not uncommon, man. You can look back through the history Look at any televangelist that's had great whatever achievement sweeping ministry. You know, half of them, a bunch of reprobates, wind up being found with some prostitute or found embezzling a bunch of money out and this and that. And yet, here, you know, you look at a man, a faithful man of God. I was talking about a, a, a fellow preacher, older man of God the other day in senior saints and, and probably very few people outside of the city of Knoxville will ever know the man's name, but he's just faithful to the Lord. He's, he's stayed the course. He's stayed faithful. Here's what I'm getting at. You don't have to accomplish great things. If you'll just refuse to bow the knee to the devil, if you'll refuse to kiss the altar of self, if you'll just maintain consistent devotion to the Lord and serve Him day by day, then when the time for great things comes, God will do great things. God doesn't need you to do great things. He's a great God. He just needs you to stay consistent so He can do great things. So we find in this passage the criteria it fulfilled. And then finally, and we'll, we'll step outside of this passage to one that we referenced this morning. We find the confidence that it inspired. We mentioned this, that in Romans chapter number 11, Paul invokes this story as an example of how that God has always maintained a remnant in the land of Israel and always done so by grace and by faith, not by the works of the law and by the maintaining of it. But notice how God describes this interaction in our text. In Romans 11:2, it says, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias. That's a New Testament way of saying Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? We reference this this morning. God gives some instructions in in, in the text that we read tonight. But God's answer to Elijah, the substance of what he wanted Elijah, how he replied against the charge of Elijah was this, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. In other words, this was God's way of saying, don't despair, Elijah. You're not alone. I'll tell you this, Elijah climbed into that cave, but bless God, he climbed out of it too. He comes back to Jezreel with a fire in his soul, and he goes on and for the next 20 years maintains, stays the course, stays faithful to God until the time appointed comes for God to kick Ahab and Jezebel off that throne, put an an arrow through Ahab's heart and feed Jezebel's body to the dogs. And when the day comes, it's Elijah standing there proclaiming the word of the Lord unto them. You know what it tells me? It tells me this, that unfaithful people are inspired by the faithfulness of faithful people. Can I remind you the story in the Old Testament when the children of Israel are standing against the Philistines uh, there in, in Gilboa? 
and uh, I say standing against them, really they're hiding from them. Saul's laid up under a pomegranate tree with his army, and the, uh, the, the Philistines are pitched down in the valley of Gilboa, and Saul and, and his company are just there. They don't know what to do. They're, they got too much pride to run, but they got too much fear to charge. And so they just are laid under that pomegranate tree, just doing nothing, taking up space, being a good Baptist, amen, just doing nothing but taking up space. And, and, and so they're laid up under that pomegranate tree. And, and Jonathan, the son of Saul, and his armor bearer, they, they start to get itchy feet. And, 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 and Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, you know, why don't we just go down there and try to whip some of them Philistines? He says, uh, who, who knows what the Lord could do for us today? And so they go down and they charge in, man, like a tornado into those Philistines. The Bible says uh, that Jonathan begins to slay him. And man, he's cutting them down by the acre. And the Bible tells us that there was some uh, Israelites who had hid themselves in caves in fear for the Philistines. And, and they heard the tumult and they looked out and they saw that fight going on. And they took heart and went down and joined. And then there was some back up under the pomegranate tree that when they heard about this going on, they looked down there and they got embarrassed that here's Jonathan down there fighting their battle for him. So they charged down and start fighting. And then there was even some Israelites that had thrown down their sword and had sided with the Philistines. And when they saw what God was doing, they took sword up and turned against the Philistines and started fighting against their own side. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this, that the faithfulness of Jonathan inspired faithfulness in the lives of the unfaithful. You say, preacher, what's the greatest ministry of faithfulness? How it encourages other people to be faithful. Can I tell you a sad truth? Just a sad truth. Uh, You'd have been shocked if you'd come in here tonight and we had the same number we had this morning. I couldn't tell you how many comments I would have got on it. I mean, I really couldn't tell you because it's never happened. And if you come in here on Wednesday night, you'd be shocked if we had the same number on Wednesday night that we had this morning. You know the sad reality? We've just kind of done got used to it. We've just, we've just got used to it. Now listen, I ain't fussing at you, not unless you're one of those that's not there on Wednesday night. And And you call those that that one that that was here this morning and tell him I said it. Sad truth is sometimes we just get used to it, and sometimes we have to be reminded what faithfulness looks like. You know, a lot of times the normalization of unfaithfulness creates an environment conducive to unfaithfulness. What does the normalization of faithfulness do? Should it not be thought a scandalous thing that we'd ever not be there for the Lord? And I'm not talking about in church attendance. I'm talking about in anything. I'm talking about, hey, listen, it's a lot harder to walk away from God when everyone that you are around is walking with Him. That's why they have to, that's why they have to change crowds. It's because they don't, they don't want to be around a crowd that is going to remind them that they're not living to the standard that they used to. not walking the way that they used to walk. And they're not, they're not raising their kids the way they used to. They're not leading their home the way they used to. They gotta find a crowd that's a little more comfortable to be around. And you know why? Because faithfulness, it has an impact and effect on those that are around it. They inspired confidence, courage in the heart of Elijah. And you know, you can do the same thing for others. I'm not telling you you can make unfaithful people faithful. I'm telling you this, that if you're not faithful, it's only going to make them more unfaithful. 
and that the only hope, the only hope apart from just simply God stirring their soul is that they might see an example of faithfulness in you. Sometimes it's disheartening. We think, well, is it ever going to make a difference? I think it does. There's some people that have gotten faithful to God because they've looked at it and said, man, if they could do it, I could do it. If they could do it, I could. You know one of the great encouraging thoughts to me in ministry? When I realize how much people dumber than me are more successful than me. I, do you remember Do you remember the bewildering moment as you grew up into adult and you became an adult and you said, this is what an adult is? <laughs> well, you, as I, One day when you grow up, Fred... And I'm sure, I mean, listen, we got politicians my age. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. And you look at it and you say, if they could do it, couldn't I do so much more? Man, I'm I'm as capable as they are. You know, it's an encouraging thing whenever someone looks over and says, you know, if they could be faithful, I could be faithful. If they could be faithful, I could be faithful. The ministry of faithfulness. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Stay faithful. I didn't come loaded for bear to tell you how unfaithful you are on a Sunday night in the middle of July. I come to encourage you and remind you that faithfulness matters. And as you're faithful to the Lord, don't give up being faithful because it makes a difference. Let's bow our heads tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. Here'd be a good time to find a place this altar and say, Now, Lord, help me to stay faithful. The world's pulling at me. Responsibilities are pulling at me. Everything around me is trying to drag me away. Lord, help me to stay faithful. Help me to just keep being consistent in my walk, in my obedience to you. Help me to stay faithful unto the Lord. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.